Hey guys, I hope you're doing great today and I can't wait to bring you the show. But before I do, I just wanna make a quick request. If you're listening to the show and you're getting good value and you're enjoying the content and you feel that it's valuable, if you could just take a second and go and give me a rating and review in whatever platform you listen, whether it be Apple or Google or uh, Spotify, whatever it is, just go and give me a rating and review, that would be very appreciated. All right guys, let's dive in. People in my company are tied to the net. They're incentivized by our revenue and specifically our net revenue, you know, net income. So if I do that, I'm going to demoralize my team. It's just going to make everybody demoralized and mad. You know what I mean? Like it's all going to come out. So we don't do that. We, we play the game fairly and we play it as if we were a buyer with the one perk of we get to see the bids and we, we can match the highest bid. You're listening to the Just Start Real Estate Podcast. If you're serious about your real estate investing business and need real answers, you are in the right place. And now, your host, Mike Simmons. All right, thank you for joining me on the show. I appreciate you being here. I have another fantastic live replay. So I do a live every Wednesday at 7 p.m. on Facebook, 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific on Facebook. If you go to Just Start Real Estate on Facebook, you can participate, ask questions. I'll be there for you to answer them. But if you do miss it, you can come here on Thursdays. I do a replay of those and I think they're hugely beneficial. This was a really, really fun one. We talked a little bit about multifamily versus uh, single family. Uh, we've talked about the Burr strategy a little bit and when do you refinance and how does that all uh, look and uh, we talked about renting rentals like if you have rentals renting them to employees of yours and is that a conflict and something that I would recommend against spoiler alert I think it's a bad idea but you can hear my full answer um, and then talked about we talked about when and if there's a downturn what happens? What do we do as real estate investors if there is a uh, downturn? And we had a conversation around that. And we also talked pretty extensively, actually, about buying properties. When, when either the market's going up or down, how do you adjust your buy price? And what does that look like? What's the formula? And so you can listen to all of those answers and more. I think this is a really fun one. And uh, I don't want to waste any more of your time. Let's dive in. All right. We're live, guys. Uh, thank you for coming back. I appreciate it. Uh, if this is your first time uh, logging in and participating in a uh, live, then uh, welcome. I appreciate you being here. All right. Um, again, thank you for being here. I really do appreciate it. It's awesome of you to be here. Uh, I do this every Wednesday, 7 o'clock Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. Um, and if you don't know who I am, and I don't usually do this on these lives, I don't introduce myself, and maybe I should. Maybe that's a huge oversight. But uh, my name is Mike Simmons. I'm a real estate investor in Michigan. Uh, I started my real estate uh, investing business back in 2008. I was doing it as a side hustle. Uh, I was working full-time in the automotive industry and kind of stumbled around, made a lot of mistakes for about five or six years until I finally, finally realized that the key to my success or the reason for the, the success that I wasn't having, and, and I was having some success. I was flipping houses. I was, I was doing actually pretty well, but I knew what I wanted. I knew that what I was doing, running around, doing everything myself and no processes, no team, no nothing. It was making me money, but I knew that I was doing it wrong. And I knew that it was going to keep me from getting to where I wanted to go. And so 
uh, after five or six years, I finally realized the key to, to what I really wanted was to get in the right rooms, be around the right people, find a mentor, find a coach, find a mastermind that I could be uh, plugged into to learn what it was that I didn't know. Because it's really hard to get too down on yourself for not knowing things that you have no way of knowing. And so getting around the right people, learning from the right mentors and coaches absolutely made all the difference in the world of my business. I went from being almost flatlined for growth to being like hockey stick growth, almost straight up, like astronomically uh, more revenue a year after getting plugged into the right people and asking the right questions and having access to somebody who had been where I am and had done that. And they had grown and prospered and built this fantastic business that I wanted to have. Well, if somebody has something or knows how to get something that you want, you need to find them, seek them out, ask questions, do what you have to do um, to get to where you want to go in, in terms of putting yourself in front of the right people. And so I do this on Wednesdays for partially that reason. I, I want to give back. I want to help. Uh, you guys have questions. And, you know, if it's a if it's a question that we can tackle right here on this live, then let's do it. I want to help you move forward. Sometimes you just need a little bit of help. You just need to answer one thing, like one or two questions, and it'll just make all the difference in the world. So um, that's what I do here on Wednesdays. I've also created a program that is for uh, those of you out there that maybe have already started your business and you've done some stuff, maybe you haven't done a ton, but you've done some flips, you're kind of moving forward, but you you are where I was about 10, 8, 10 years ago. You were, you're making some progress, you don't know what you don't know, and you have no idea how to turn this side hustle or this small business into a business that is thriving, predictable revenue, um, profitable, right? It's one thing to generate money, but how much of it are you keeping? And so being profitable is huge. So I want in my program to show you not only how to grow, how to build your team, how to structure your business, how to get more leads, how to get better leads, how to find all the money you need, all these things, right? How to talk to sellers and buyers and, and realtors and all these people that you have to interface with. Like, how do you put all this together? What's the plan for sustained growth and sustained profitability? That's what my program is for. It's for the folks that have gotten started and just don't know what to do next. Or maybe you're in this market that we're in right now and you're thinking, I can't win. There's too many you know, variables against me. It's a hot market. There's a lot of investors in my, in my market. And what do I do, right? So there's a lot of things that go into building a successful business. And I want to help you in a real meaningful way to help you with your business and your questions and really show you and lay out the plan that was laid out for me, honestly, like six years ago, laid out for me of what I needed to do to build my business and create a seven figure revenue profit business. And uh, that's what the program's about. So if you're interested, if that's something that is interesting to you, then you can go very simple, go to seven figure investor. That's the word seven, not the number, the word seven spelled out seven figure investor.com. Go there, check it out. I have made the program super affordable for anybody. And what you're going to gain, like what I am going to give you, what the, the map that I'm going to lay out for you in the program is worth 
you know, 10, 100, I don't know, 1,000, whatever. It's it's worth so much more than what I'm charging. So, but I want to be able to help a lot of people. And so here we go. It's not an unlimited amount of people that I'm going to take. Um, it starts in around mid mid-March. Uh, we've had to move that date a few times for internal reasons and scheduling and things like that. Uh, but it's finally nailed down. And um, I should know the exact date right now, but I don't. I think I want to say it's maybe something in the background here and my team can help me. I think it's March 22nd, I believe, is the uh, is the start date. And I'm sort of slow rolling this so I can get the answer from all of the lovely folks that work here. <laughs> Angela, I'm talking directly to you. Good. Okay. Uh, March 22nd, the program starts on March, starts on March 22nd. And uh, uh, we are just going to kill it. Uh, and I'm a super competitive person. And so my goal is not just to meet your expectations and show you how to build a seven figure business and just, you know, help you crush it this year. My goal is to go way far beyond that and really, really over deliver on everything you expect. So that's that's my goal, because I want everyone in that program to leave that program knowing exactly what to do, being on the path to getting it done and building a seven figure business. That's the goal. And I, I know that I can do that. I've done it over and over again for hundreds of other investors um, in the past. But this is the first time I've offered something that's mine that I'm that I created that I'm trying to help you personally. And there's nobody else involved but me. Um, and so I take it pretty personal. So if you want to check it out, sevenfigureinvestor.com. All right, let's dive into the questions for today. That's why you're all here. Um, these questions, I just want to remind you guys, they come from all different places. Uh, some are emailed to me, some people DM me and Instagram and um, TikTok and wherever, all the places that I am. And sometimes there are people who ask questions um, after we go off live. And so uh, they don't, maybe they don't realize we're done or they ask it in the comments or things like that. So they come from everywhere. And then we answer them here on Wednesdays. And if you're here live with me right now, uh, you can ask questions and, and that'll go to the top. We'll, we prioritize the questions that are being asked live right here. So if you have questions, don't be shy. Don't wait for me to finish what I'm doing. Just type it in the chat and uh, it'll get in front of me. Okay. First question. I'm currently toying with the idea of going for a small multifamily property instead of a single family home to make the numbers work in a more competitive market. I'm curious to see what people have to say in regards to what type of property you prefer. So if you're listening to this live, if you're watching live, go ahead and put it in the comments uh, what you prefer. For me, um, I, I can't say that I, I don't prefer a certain style of house, but I can tell you what I've experienced with and what I have done in the past, right? And you might say, well, if that's, you know, if that's what you've done in the past, that's what you prefer. Not necessarily. I, I see the advantages all the way around. But for me, it's always been single family houses. Um, and, and that's really mostly because that's where I started. The the mentor that I mentioned several years back did single family houses. And so that's where I cut my teeth and that's where I learned the business. I learned it in single family. And I think single family versus multifamily, it's very debatable. I don't, there's not a right answer. I know there's not a right answer. I, I prefer to do what I know the best and what I feel I have a, a, a really high expertise. And that's single family. I know stuff about multifamily. I know way more about single family and that world. So that's what I do. And I guess maybe that's maybe that means I prefer it. I don't know. I don't necessarily prefer it. If, I, if my mentor had been a multifamily person and said, listen, you've done single families to this point, but here's why I think you should do multifamily. And I had gone that route, I might have a totally different answer. But I've always done single family. 
Um, but there's advantages to multifamily, especially when you start getting into like apartment buildings and things like that. Um, one roof, one centralized location for all of your maintenance and repairs and capex stuff. And you know, with multifamily, especially larger multifamily, um, you can directly affect the price. You can buy something for a million, make some minor improvements, and raise all the rents and do do a few things, and now you have a one point five or two million dollar apartment complex, right? Like it's not that say, oh, it is sort of that straightforward. That's kind of what it is, but um, you can do that much easier and much more predictably. It's much more of a math equation with with larger multifamily than it is single family. Single family is still a little bit of um, math meets art, right? Like when people are appraising a house or when they're running comps on a house, there's some subject activity to it. You know, there's some subjective thinking that goes into it. Some of it is is math and some of it is like, well, here's a house that's exactly the same house that sold for this. Right. But now you have to start digging in. Was it updated recently? Was it not updated recently? Is it is that one that's close to it? Is it on a main road and yours isn't like there's still some subjective opinions about what that house is worth. It's not an exact science where multifamily is much more, especially large multifamily. I'm not talking about duplexes and triplexes. I'm talking about like 10 or more units. It becomes much more of an exact science. Right. Um, so in that case, you know, I, multifamily is probably pursued by a smaller percentage of investors than than single family, and that's I think what you're really uh, what you're um, alluding to here is you're you're going potentially multifamily um, because it's a, it's a competitive market, right? And when we know that most people go for single family for whatever reason, that's just what the masses know. And so when people get into real estate, even if they want to do multifamily, they assume they have to start with with single family. And so you end up with more single family investors in the market. So it's not a bad idea. Uh, I don't prefer single family over multi. It's just what I know. And so that's what I've been doing for a long time. Okay. Uh, next question. I have been remodeling a duplex to hold as a rental property, and one of my employees is interested in renting one unit. What would what advice would you give in a situation? Is it potentially dangerous mixing of relationships? Yes, it is. It is absolutely dangerous because if this employee is valuable to you, and you rent to them, and they don't pay the rent for whatever reason, um, you know it, it, it's going to cause a conflict. You know, you're going to have to evict them probably, unless you just want to let them live there rent free, which that's not a business, right? That's a charity. So if you're running a business and you have to let them go or not let them go, but you have to evict them, how will that affect them at work? My guess is it'll affect them very negatively. And that's not even to mention, you know, if let's just say they weren't performing at work, they were paying their rent, but they weren't performing at work and you had to let them go, you know, just natural course of business. There's, you have somebody on your team, maybe they don't belong on your team anymore. Maybe they're not performing. Maybe they're the weak link, whatever the case, right? You have to let them go. Now they stop paying rent and you evict them. I don't know. Like, are they going to go to a judge and say they can't pay rent because their landlord fired them from the job that paid them so they could pay rent. I don't know. Like that's a ridiculous argument to me, but what's going to like, what could happen? You have to run through all the scenarios and find out if it's worth the risk. And by the way, just because they want to rent it, even if you decide that this person is so great, we'll never have a conflict. They're a great worker. They'll always pay the rent. That's fine. You should still run them through the same quality or background checks. Um, look at references, like, everything that you would do with a normal tenant. Don't shortcut a system that you have because 
doing the work up front on a tenant is without a doubt one of the most uh, important parts of being a landlord. It's it's easier to be a landlord and all of your rental properties will be less hassle and headache for you if you do a fantastic job qualifying people up front. The minute you start just letting anybody in who can pay the first and last month's rent and you don't do a lot of checks, that's when you start having evictions, you start having people abusing your property, and you start getting some of these professional renters who get in, they know the laws, they stop paying rent. You have to, you know, by the time you get through the eviction process, especially with COVID and everything that's gone on the last few years, you know, now they're there 90, 180 days, and then they start paying rent again, right? And so, you can't evict them and then they stop paying rent and then the circle cycle starts again. So I'm not saying your employee would do that, but short answer, I, I would not be interested in renting to an employee in most cases, most cases. I'm not, I'm not going to say that I'm not human. And if something was happening and, and I really had a, like a soft spot for this person and I really felt for their situation, maybe, but I just don't like it. I don't think it's a good idea. I think you're so much better off if you steer totally clear of that. But if you do do it, just make it real clear to them. You have two relationships with them. One of them is as an employee. I'm sorry, an employer, employee, employer relationship. The other relationship you have with them is a landlord and they are separate. They have nothing to do with each other. If they don't pay rent, they're going to get evicted. Like make sure they're well aware of that. But I still say don't do it. But completely up to you. That's my my opinion. Okay. Kyle's jumping in here. Live question. Kyle, thanks for coming tonight. I appreciate it. Good to see you. Uh, The question is, Kyle asks, when you buy a rental from your wholesale business leads, do you pay a fee to your wholesale company? How do you structure that so that it's beneficial to your rental company? Yes. So Kyle, you're asking this because you know that I'm a wholesaler. And so we find deals all the time. We, we, assign the contracts to end buyers. So the way it works in my company is um, we have to bid on the properties also, kind of, right? We have, we have the, um, we give ourselves as owner, me and my partner, we give ourselves the luxury of matching the highest bid. And then that's what we pay. So whatever the highest bid was on the property, like legit bid, not some flyer, but somebody who said, okay, I'm ready to sign the contracts. Like, I want to do this. As an owner, I can look at that property and say, I want it and I'll I'll buy it for what he's buying it or she's buying it for. Like I'll match the highest bid. And so my rental company, my 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 the company that holds my rentals buys it from my wholesale company and we pay the assignment fee whatever it was. Now, I've bought a lot of properties from my company where nobody bid on the property, but I wanted it. I thought it was a good property and we just didn't get bids on it for whatever reason. Or maybe we got bids on it, but the bids were really low and they weren't, they weren't that bad, you know, $5,000 assignment fee. Like I match it. And if nobody bids on it, then I look at it objectively and just, just look at it fairly and say, is the price that it's under contract for all I can pay? And if nobody else wants it and we're going to have to cancel the contract, I'll take it for the contract price. If I think that it's fair to give my company $5,000 assignment fee, because I think that's just what's fair, then I'll do that, right? And so we don't we don't shortchange the wholesaling company just because I'm an owner. I don't get to just go in there and like, well, I'm gonna, you know, this property would have made us $30,000 as a company, 
but because I'm owner, I'm going to take it. And I'm not paying that $30,000 assignment fee. We don't do that because people in my company, a lot of them are tied to the net. They're incentivized by our revenue and specifically our net revenue or net, you know, net income. So if I do that, I'm going to demoralize my team. It's just going to make everybody demoralized and mad. You know what I mean? Like it's all going to come out. So we don't do that. We we play the game fairly and we play it as if we were a buyer, a, a normal buyer with the one perk of we get to see the bids and we we can match the highest bid, you know. So um we do give ourselves that luxury, but yeah, I buy them for my company. I don't I don't just take them for no fee. We we pay the fees whatever is appropriate. Okay. Uh next question. Let's see here. Uh Okay, I'm sorry. I'm peeking in at the live questions. Here we go. Next question. I'm using the burst strategy on a rental I have here in Royal Oak, Michigan. That's my area. Nice, nice town. Royal Oak's very nice town. And I'm wondering if you have any advice on how long you should wait to refinance after purchasing. The only rehab I had to do was refreshing the interior paint. Uh, in my opinion, I, I would wait as long as the lending institution that's going to do your refi makes you wait. So if they make you wait a year, then you wait a year or find somebody else. If they only make you wait six months, then refi in six months. Some places will refi in 90 days or sooner. There are people who are doing it even sooner. I would refi as soon as they let you pull that money out, rinse and repeat. That's just my opinion. You're doing the Burr strategy. That leads me to believe that you're an investor who wants to grow their portfolio. And so if that's the case, speed, right? Speed is important. So I would uh, I would refi out as soon as possible. And you need to talk to whoever's doing that refi to ask them what their requirements are. But honestly, if it's like a year, find somebody else, in my opinion. If it's six months, I would still look for somebody who can do it sooner. I want to refi out of that thing as soon as it's rented and renovated and ready to go. I want that clock to start. I want to start that refi process right away so that I can get my money out, go into the next property, rinse and repeat, right? Doing one of these a year is a, is a slow road, and I'm just not a slow road guy. Okay, uh, next question from uh, Gabriel Moreno. Hey, Gabriel, how are you doing? We, let's say, question is, what are some methods flippers and new home builders pivot to in order to survive a real estate downturn? I'll tell you what, uh, I don't know what builders do. I'm not a builder. I, I can't really answer that question uh, effectively. But house flippers, sometimes house flippers go the wholesale route when when the um you know when the real estate is like it is now but you're asking about a downturn and so i think sometimes again i don't know about builders i think builders get really nervous especially if they have a lot of long-term projects in play uh, they're the ones i think who get burned and got burned back when things turned the other way in 08. but as far as flippers i don't think they should still flip i mean anybody house flippers landlords wholesalers they they need they can keep their business going the way it is in a way right so i've said this on this live a million times i've said it on my podcast a million times i've said this to everyone who will listen the only reason why the downturn should be of interest or the upturn right when things start going up or down you need to know what's happening in the market so that you can adjust your strategy a little bit but that doesn't mean flippers get out builders hunker down and do like you don't hide from the market 
you you go into it, right? You 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 go right into it. So for a house flipper, for example, when things start going down, they just have to make sure that when they're running their comps for when the property will be eventually flipped and done, that they're running conservative comps. They're not being super aggressive with their with their comps and with their pricing structures, right? If the house is worth after renovation, if it's going to be worth $250,000 right now and you're in a downturn, you can't assume you're going to get $250,000 unless you're flipping and turning these things in like 30, 90 or 30 or 60 days. You start going into 90, 120, 180 days, the market could look different. And so back in like 08 and 09, when I started, I needed to look at something that was, let's just say it had an ARV of 200,000 when I bought it. I had to assume that it was going to be like 180, 185 when I went to sell it. I had to use conservative numbers like that because in a lot of cases, it was worth less than what it was the day I bought it, right? Or it was the potential of that property was lower six months later, five months later than it was the day I bought it. Let's put it that way. So house flippers need to buy more conservatively and they need to price their properties at the end a little more conservatively because what happens is and what happened back then is that people would list their property at 200 after renovations they would list it for 200 because 200 was the number six months ago and they would realize oh no it's not worth 200 it's worth one eight it's worth 180 and so they would drop their price by ten thousand dollars now they're they're asking 190 when it's worth 180 and they would sit on it for another month or two until it was worth 170 and then they would lower it to 180 right they kept they called it chasing the market down you don't want to chase the market down that's a really really bad thing you need to be conservative on your buy price and then you need to be realistic slash conservative on your sell price that's what happens in a downturn but you continue being a house flipper i can't stress that enough guys i don't think a house flipper should you know a cat shouldn't turn into a dog a turtle a turtle shouldn't turn into a, a a rabbit you know a truck doesn't turn into a car you can't you don't change who and what you are do what you're great at just tweak it tweak it to the market and when the market is going up like it has been for the last few years you can buy a little bit more aggressively and you can sell more aggressively, right? And an upturn market and a market that's going up, it's seller, a seller's market, buy aggressive, sell aggressive. When it's going down, buy conservative, sell conservative. It's just, you just change your approach a little bit. You don't wholesale change your model. And if this sounds like I'm yelling at you, I'm not trying to, I'm just trying to really be clear about this because I think the mistake people make is they hunker down and they just get out of the market or they change their approach like a house flipper who turns into a wholesaler and a down market will fail a lot of times because I got news for you guys, house flipping and wholesaling are not the same business. They're just not, they're different. They're, they're in the same industry for sure, but take it from someone who flipped for six years and then I wholesaled now for like six going on seven years. Those are two different businesses. And I've tried running a full scale flipping business with, the with the mechanisms i put in place to be a wholesaler didn't work it's not the same and i have experience in both it did not work so if you're a flipper be a flipper just be a smart flipper change your change your strategy a little bit and adapt with the market if you're a wholesaler be a wholesaler if you're a landlord be a landlord right that's my advice and by the way we don't know there's going to be a downturn so i just got done doing a bunch of videos that i'm going to be releasing about 
the the market and the fact that we just don't know that there's going to be a downturn i thought there was going to be already so if you would have asked me a year and a half ago i would have told you what happened by now there would have already been a correction and there hasn't been the market's very strong so maybe it's going to plateau and then go back up i can tell you this in 20 years real estate will be worth more than it is now i can almost guarantee like listen things could happen right world war three we, we could we could be in real trouble in 10 20 years maybe but assuming things are not catastrophic real estate be worth more in 20 years than it is right now and it's worth now more than it was 20 years ago right it just it will always go up in the long long term we just don't know in the short term what the ups and downs will be i've not seen a downturn yet i don't know that there will be so don't count on a downturn for sure just just stay the course do what you're doing but keep your ear to the ground and when the market shifts if and when react to that appropriately with the way you buy and sell that's that's my advice okay next question alan boinke hey i know alan what's up alan how you doing man it's been a long time actually um okay so the question alan's question hi mike just curious if you're using hazel in your inbound marketing in your metro detroit market nice to see uh business doing well i'm asking about hazel unless you know what it is i don't know what it is i've never heard of hazel hazel i don't know what that is i have not a clue so if you want to tell me i would be interested in being educated but i i don't know what it is so no i'm not using it. <laughs> i'm not using it because i don't know what it is but maybe i should be let me know what that is Okay, next question is from Need You. Hey, man, welcome back. It's uh, this is this is a regular. Need You is a regular for me. Uh, when you mentioned, here's the question: When you mentioned buying aggressive, what percentage would you pay over existing comps? Market Michigan. I don't work like that. It, it's it's case by case. But if you want me to ballpark it, I will because that's you know saying it depends is a horrible answer, but it does sort of depend. Um, so the way everything that we buy we buy it okay so there's a real long answer here and there's a short answer the short answer is what would we buy it over the comps in this market i, I don't know maybe maybe 10 percent. you know depending on the price obviously if we're talking about a fifty thousand dollar house maybe i would buy it 15 percent over if we're talking about a two hundred thousand dollar house maybe 10 8 to 10 right so it's going to fluctuate with the cost of the house it can't just be a straight number um but we don't we don't work like that really what we do is we we certainly look at the the comps we really look at them where they are right now we don't we don't count on appreciation even in an aggressive market like this we don't count on appreciation because i was around for 08 09 right i didn't get burned by that time but i saw the people that got burned and everybody who got burned not everybody well let's put it this way anybody who counted on appreciation like appreciation was critical to their success or to their profitability got burned not everyone who got burned was counting on appreciation so it's just the way i, I don't want to misrepresent what i'm trying to say but if appreciation was a big part of your strategy you you got you got burned probably in 0809 and i saw that so we don't count on appreciation. We try to keep a little conservative on what we think the house could be worth, but we get real aggressive on the buy side. But here's sort of like the hidden secret in my company. We're always aggressive on the buy side. So even five years ago, when the market wasn't nearly as hot as it is now, we got properties as low as possible. And a lot of it is psychology. I swear it's psychology. So there's a story that somebody told me once and, and it really illustrates what I'm talking about. 
Okay. So it was, it was actually my mentor. So it was early on when I started really kind of putting things together and understanding what I needed to do to build my business. My mentor told me a story about an acquisitions manager of his and his acquisition manager didn't run his own comps. So there were other people on, on the team that would run comps and they would give it to the acquisition manager before they went on their appointment. And they would basically give them that, that maximum allowable offer. Well, the, the person who ran the comps for the acquisitions person made a mistake, but they made a mistake in the good way. In other words, they estimated the, the, the after repair value to be much lower than what it actually should have been. And so, <clears throat> excuse me. And so the, the maximum allowable offer that they gave the acquisition person was incredibly low. But since the acquisition person didn't run any of the comps, he didn't know, he didn't have a frame of reference to know that was low. He just knew the number he was given. And he went to the appointment with a number he was given, no reason to think it's wrong. In his mind, he had to get it for that price. And so he conducted the, the um, appointment as if that was the number he needed to get. And, and he sort of got, you know, good rapport and he, and he built this relationship and he, he saw, he figured out what the problem was of the seller, like what they were struggling with. And he figured out a solution for him and empathy. And it was a great appointment and the seller loved him and, and the acquisition person got it for the price that he was told he had to get it for. And then when he got back and brought the contract back, the team looked at it and said, Holy cow, like, this is incredibly, how did you do this? And he's like, well, I had to, that was the, that was the maximum allowable offer. That's all I could do. And so when the team started looking at it, they realized, oh, there was a huge mistake here. Like this isn't the right, these aren't the right comps. This isn't right at all. This house is worth way more than we thought it was. Okay. Moral of the story is we get properties as low as we can. Every property we go into is we're, we're not necessarily saying, what does a seller want or what do we need to get? We're saying, how do we solve the seller's problem effectively at a price that is a win-win for both of us that where they feel like they won, but we win, right? And sometimes that means we buy houses a little over what we probably should. We're being, you know, we have to, we have to take it down for a price that isn't awesome, but it's okay. And sometimes that means we get a house at an extremely discounted price where we didn't necessarily have to get it that low, but we solved the problem. They were happy. Everybody's happy. It's all good. And we got it for a low price. And so we don't just throw an arbitrary like, here's what they're asking and here's the percentage we're going to take off or here's the um, ARV. Here's the percentage we're going to take off. We don't run it that way. We try to get everything as low as humanly possible. In this environment, you certainly have to because it's a it's a seller's market, right? And so it's always hard for me to answer the question of like, do you use a 70% rule? How much percent do you pay over market value? Like, we just don't look at it that way. Every single property, every single appointment, we are doing our very best to get that property at the lowest possible price while still making the seller happy with the entire process and making them satisfied that they got what they needed out of that out of that exchange right and that's a really it's more of a philosophical answer and i apologize for that because i don't like giving philosophical answers but that's honestly what we do that's how we run our business and so Sometimes that means we get a property. It's like, wow, there's like a hundred thousand dollar assignment fee here. And then other ones we get, it's like, 
we'll be lucky to get a couple thousand dollars out of this one, right? If we if we ran it with just a straight percentage, the one where we had $100,000 of profit coming, that would be much lower because we would just mark it down by a percentage, get it for that price and move on, right? You have to treat every house like a completely original animal, a totally new situation that has to be approached with a new set of eyes. And, and really what it boils down to is listening to the seller, understanding what they're struggling with, solving that problem, and then buying their property as, as a byproduct of solving their problem, right? And sometimes that means we get great great deals. Sometimes they're not great deals, right? But we still make money, right? It all kind of moves the, bar, the ball move down the field. But we have targets in our business. We're not happy with making $2,000. Yes, it's positive. It's in the right direction, but it's not. That is, you can't, I mean, in my opinion, at least you can't run a business off of $2,000 paydays in real estate. It just doesn't work. It, the volume you'd have to do is obscene, right? For us to maintain the revenue that we want to maintain. So anyway, super long answer to a relatively simple question um all right uh mike aziz hey mike how you doing welcome back again a long time uh, uh follower of this wednesday live uh question with your business model what percentage of walkthroughs does your company close that's a really good question um we have traditionally been in the 30 to 35 percent range so um we get approximately three to four contracts for every appointment that's just traditionally what we do. We have months where we kill it and we do way more than that. We have months where it's tough and we don't do that. Right. But we average in the 30 to 40% range. So we, we get, you know, 10 appointments. We're going to get three or four contracts. It's pretty typical for us. Uh, okay. We're getting close to the end here. Let's see. Is there any, any other brand new questions? No, it looks like we got it. Oh yeah. Alan's asking for a clarification of Hazel. Uh, can you clarify what Hazel is? Yeah, that's me. Sorry. Uh, yeah. So what is Hazel? Um, okay. looks like that's all the questions for tonight. There's a bunch more questions that I was going to answer, but uh, we got some live questions. So that's awesome. It's always way more fun to answer those. Um, I'm going to call that for tonight then. We'll save these other questions for next time. If you have questions still, and, and we're logging off here, but if you have questions, uh, throw them in and we will get to them for sure next week. But either way, guys, if you're listening to this on my podcast, and by the way, I do replay this on my podcast. Obviously, we can't interact and have a conversation like we can in this live. But if you do miss it and want to hear it, you can go check it out uh, on my podcast, which is called Just Start Real Estate. So go there and check it out wherever you listen to podcasts. Otherwise, I'll be back here uh uh, next Wednesday uh, at 7 o'clock Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific, like I am every week to answer you guys' questions. Also, if you want to work with me this year, if you want to really take your business to the next level, get very, very serious, get down to work, roll up our sleeves and just crush it, go to 7figureinvestor, the word 7, sevenfigureinvestor.com and uh, sign up and I will help you out in a very extreme, very deep, very personal way. It's, I'm going to take it personally. I want to see you succeed and uh, I'll be in your corner. So anyways, go check that out and I will see you guys next week. All right. I hope you enjoyed that. Remember, I do these Q&As live on Facebook on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. I hope you enjoyed this. Tune in next week for another installment of live Q&As answering your questions. Okay. Until next time.